it's a good day. It's a good day to be a Braves fan. I know. It's really exciting. It's really exciting. Three games in the World Series. It's a good day to be a Braves fan. It's a good day to be a Georgia fan, and that's all I'm going to say about that. But it is. It's a good day, too, because it's Halloween, and it's the only day in the year where adults can eat children's candy without any judgment. So it's quite wonderful. I absolutely love it. Do not tell my children, but I eat all of their candy when they're not looking. Because as long as it's not minty or will break my teeth, I am going to eat it. I love candy. Yeah, just do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a good fun day. Halloween has become a thing. Have you noticed? It's become a thing. People are starting to decorate for Halloween. Like lights, the whole thing. And I will tell you, there are people whose decorations scare me. They are quite traumatizing, and that's wonderful. Okay, I get that. I like fun Halloween decorations. I like things that make me laugh. I like the witch's legs, you know, in the ground. Like, ah! the witches that fall into trees. I think those kinds of things are fun. My neighbor, I've been watching her house, and she has been decorating since October 1st. And every week she adds to her decorations. And so the first week there are these skeletons, this little man skeleton and a girl skeleton. And then the next week spiders started to crawl up her house. And then the next week a ghost appeared. And then the next week a little dog skeleton appeared. And then little wigs started coming on the skeletons. It's been fun to watch her her whole house. And then just this... Last week, she finished her decorations complete with a little cemetery in the front yard, and it had all the headstones. Cemeteries seem to be like a fun thing that people now are decorating and putting in their front yards. It sounds very weird as I say it. I'm kind of weird because I like headstones. I like to read what they say. I like to read the epitaphs on there. Of course, an epitaph, Usually pretty simple. It's just the name on a marker, on a grave marker. It's a name, usually a date. And every now and then, something very interesting. And so I'm always interested to read them. This time of year, you know, the funny ones that show up, they're always some version of like, I told you I was sick. You know, they're funny. All right, so I'm going to read to you some epitaphs that are real. Are you ready? Good. Here we go. And this is, these are real epitaphs. This one's in, from England. Here lies the body of old Margaret Bent. She kicked up her heels and away she went. <laughs> it's funny. All right, this one is from a woman who is buried in Colorado. But her ex-husband is buried in Texas. And so on her epitaph, it reads, I'd rather be here than in Texas. Oh, my. All right, here's another one. This is very long ago. This is actually from 1897. And it says, Come blooming youth as you pass by, and on these lines do cast an eye. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you must be. 
prepare for death and follow me. A few years later, someone came back on there and wrote, to follow you, I am not content. How do I know which way you went? (laughs) Okay, Savannah, Georgia. She was not smart. She was not fair. But hearts with grief for her are swelling. All empty stands her little chair. She died of eating watermelon. Oh, Captain Thomas Coffin died 1842 when he was 50. He's done the catching cod and gone to meet his God. I know they're funny. One more, just one more. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired and his vigor was not abated. That epitaph is actually scriptural. That's actually scriptural. It's found in Deuteronomy 34. It's the very last chapter of Deuteronomy. And if we kept reading in Deuteronomy and reading the very last verse, we would read the obituary of Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land. And for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displaces of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. That would have been the obituary that was in the paper. And it's interesting because it doesn't list all of the different family members. It is a very simple, quite eloquent story of the life of Moses. And actually, the entire book of Deuteronomy tells us the life of Moses. The entire book of Deuteronomy starts with the beginning of his life and ends with the end of his life. It starts with Moses on a mount, or in the wilderness, and he ends with Moses on a mountain. Parts of Deuteronomy are oral tradition. There are stories that have been passed down. There are stories that have been told over and over and over again. And part of the book of Deuteronomy is historical law. Some are chronologically in order, and some books, some parts of the book of Deuteronomy are kind of put back at the end to fill in, so that the book of Deuteronomy completely tells us the whole life of this prophet named Moses. So it only makes sense that it would tell us how Moses died. God took Moses sent him on a mountain. Anytime you read that there's a mountain, you need to pay attention. Always things amazing happen on mountains. God goes, takes Moses on a mountain and says, Moses, look, this is the promised land. This is the land I promised your ancestors. This is the land that I promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They worked for this promised land and they couldn't see it. You can see it, Moses. You will never be able to cross over, but for you, you get to feast your eyes on the very thing that has been promised. Can you imagine? Can you imagine knowing that your family has been working towards something 
and you get to be the one to see it. And then the people after you get to be the one to cross over into it. I read a little bit about Halloween. If you Google it, you're going to read some version of the same things that I have read. But one of the things that interests me the most about Halloween is that it's based on this festival and this belief that something happens at midnight tonight and we cross over from the light part of the year into the dark part of the year. There's this idea that we are entering into tomorrow this darkest half of the year. And so ironically enough, we put on masks, <laughs> the very thing we want to get rid of. We put on these masks to disguise ourselves as we go into this dark half of the year. And then, of course, used to, Halloween was the beginning of three-day festival. November 1st was All Saints Day, and November 2nd was All Souls Day. But now here in modern era of our culture, we as Protestants, we as good United Methodists, we really only hold on to that day of November 1st of All Saints Day. Because we don't have feast days for named saints, we have one day where we celebrate them all. We have one day of All Saints Day where we celebrate those named and unnamed important people of our history and of our lives. The ordinary and the extraordinary, we have one day to celebrate them. And so All Saints Day tomorrow is the day where we get to celebrate our Sunday school teachers that we have known. It's the day we get to celebrate the important uncles and aunts and cousins, and all those people in our lives that have meant something to us. Tomorrow is that amazing day. Moses probably didn't have an All Saints Day, but he certainly knew that his life was about building upon the foundation of other people before him. Moses was keenly aware that his life was to help direct the next after him. And so we know that to be true too. We know that in death, it's an end of a chapter for sure, but it's not the end of the story. We know that it's a simple continuation of one. And what Moses did was Moses knew, and so he picked another. He selected Joshua. And he laid hands on Joshua, and he began to teach and train Joshua. And so as soon as Moses' life ended, Joshua's took over. And if you actually read the end of Deuteronomy and go straight to chapter 1, verse 1 of the next book named Joshua, it picks up seamlessly. makes sense to me because I have a crazy family. I have a crazy family because we have a family cemetery. And I have eaten more potato salad and ham and baked beans on headstones than you want to know about. Because since I was a little girl, I've been going to the family cemetery twice a year. One day, we always gather to work. It's our work day. We get the cemetery ready for the spring, and then we go there another day, and we take care of our business, because guess what? That family cemetery has more rules than you would think. (laughs) 
And the workday is always my favorite. We go and we have a big picnic. And then I remember this one particular day, I was probably 10. And the matriarch of our family, it was her job to give everybody duties, these work things to do, these jobs to do. And she gave me my job for the day. And she said, Marion, you're going to be washing headstones. That's probably why I think it's fun to read them. And she said, and you're going to go wash headstones with this person. Well, she assigned me, she partnered me with Aunt Peggy. Aunt Peggy was probably 60 years old, and it was going to be our job to go wash headstones. And so as a 10-year-old, I did one of these numbers. (sighs) Do you know anybody that's ever done that? (sighs) I'm sure you don't. I'm probably the only, like, 10-year-old that ever did that. So I made my face, and I went over to the first headstone, and I don't know, I just start doing whatever I think it's supposed to do. And I finally, it took me a few headstones to get over myself, but I finally did. And so I began to listen to Aunt Peggy, and Aunt Peggy began to teach me how to do it, and so I did. And then as I was paying attention, Aunt Peggy began to tell me stories. I learned that my Aunt Peggy loves flowers, And I learned that my Aunt Peggy was a home economics professor at the local university. I also learned that my Aunt Peggy did not have one of those children filters. You know what I'm talking about? It's that filter that people use when children are around so they don't tell certain stories. My my Aunt Peggy didn't have it, and I loved her for it. The matriarch got really mad sometimes when she would hear the stories that my Aunt Peggy was telling me, and I couldn't wait to hear more. Because my Aunt Peggy would say, Marion, read me the headstone and I'll tell you all about him. So one by one, I would call these names out and hear these amazing things. I learned that one of my relatives, one of my grandfathers, began the state's first free fair. I learned that I had relatives that were mayors and musicians and poets and war heroes. And I learned that one of my cousins, when it wasn't supposed to happen, she was one of those horrible women that played the piano, sipped a little bourbon, and showed her legs. How awesome is that? I learned things about my family Because a cemetery is our book of Deuteronomy. Cemeteries are books of Deuteronomy. Cemeteries are the places that have oral stories, oral tradition, telling the story over and over and over again. And our cemetery has a little bit of historical law, some chronological fact, and some other things that we fill in to tell our whole story from beginning to end. A cemetery can be a book of Deuteronomy. And I think Jesus knew that. Jesus went to a cemetery. Jesus went to a cemetery to visit a friend who had died three days before. And he knew that his friend had died because his sisters, Mary and Martha, greeted him. And when Mary and Martha called for Jesus and he finally got there, Mary and Martha were mad at him because they had to blame somebody. So they did. We understand what that feels like. And so they got mad at Jesus and they blamed Jesus. And then Jesus goes over to the stone, to the tomb. And John 11 tells us the rest of that story. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
of the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I want to show you an image of this story. I'm going to show you a picture. This picture is actually from the St. John's Bible. I hope to tell you more about the St. John's Bible one day. But for now, know that the St. John's Bible has been um, in process since the late 90s. Um, all of the calligraphy was done by the Queen's own calligrapher. It is from the, um, it is our Holy Scripture, but it is illuminated. It has these different illuminations in it. And it was commissioned uh, by the Benedictines of St. John's Abbey in Minnesota. And so I'm just showing you one illumination. And this is actually the one of Lazarus. And if you pay attention to it, it's very different than what we're used to. Normally, we think of this story, this image of Lazarus, we see it from the outside of the tomb. We see it from the vantage point of Mary and Martha. This does the opposite. This puts us in the tomb with Lazarus. You see it? It's the darkness, the dark figure. And so this image is of Lazarus looking out of the tomb. And what he sees is light. And that's really what it's about. This is what tomorrow is about. As we enter into the darkest half of the year, we as people of Christ sit and stand very firmly in the light of Christ because we know there is no grave that can hold us down. Tomorrow is a celebration that there is no more darkness. We reclaim the darkness only for the light because we know that people who have died in the name of Christ, they do not sit in the tomb of darkness, but they feast at the heavenly banquet. Chapel Roswell, we are a community of faith. We are a part of the community of saints. And it is our job to continue the book of Deuteronomy seamlessly. It is our responsibility to share that promise, what we see. It's our obligation to remember the story for the next generation so that what we have seen from our ancestors, we can pass down into the light that will pierce all darkness. We stand on the same mountain as Moses. We stand in the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We stand in the communion of saints with all of them on a mountain to say, tomorrow we celebrate the light of the promised land that we give you today. And the legacy that we should leave it should not be stories of hate or fear or angst. It should be stories of victory, of celebration, and of gifts of the Spirit. 
The story that should continue seamlessly from us should be stories of us leading people through the waters and calling out friends from the darkness. My Aunt Peggy, she told me stories of people she never met. And I now tell you the story of Aunt Peggy because she died just a few weeks ago in her 90s. And because of her, I continue on. I will tell you about everyone, every story, and I'm proud to represent it. What promise will you carry on? Today, we're in the cemetery, but tomorrow, we will dance right out of it. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious and holy Lord, we pray to you today in communion with all of the saints in heaven and in earth. And we pray with the martyrs and the saints and the people of all ages. Bless us now with your healing presence. Make us hungry for more justice and strengthen our faith so that our love for everyone we encounter will only increase. And Lord, be with us as we love people that are hard to love and people that we don't even know. Be with us and show us ways to be in relationship with them. Lord, we also pray that you wipe away the tears of any who are grieving this day. When there's pain or suffering, may the church, this local church and our universal church be a place of safety. Wherever there is doubt and despair, help us to offer hope. May our outreach be far greater than any offering that we give you. May we give generously of our love and our time. Lord, more than anything, may we be a place for all people to experience an extreme amount of love. And allow us to be a role for someone else so that we may help them be unbound in any suffering, any temptation, any addiction, or any darkness that they're clouded in. May we be a person of light. Amen.